We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place exclusive interviews with players coaches and team executives streaming live and always available on demand stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the odyssey app and welcome back to our number two of hardline joe beamer and brenda alacy here with you and uh, we have coming up in this hour eva doyle the uh, historian author journalist she'll be joining us in just a moment to talk about the state of race in this country. And then at 11.35, Dr. Joseph Chow will join us and he will take any of your questions related to COVID, the vaccines, anything related to the pandemic. 803-0930 is our number and that's the same number for the Volkswagen of Orchard Park text board, 716-803-0930. Your calls, questions, texts are always welcome. Just a personal note too, I'll be off for the next uh, four to six weeks having some surgery this Thursday. So uh, Joe uh, will very ably handled uh, steering the ship out of Hardline, and I look forward to coming back hopefully in mid-May. Uh, but without further ado, we welcome Eva Doyle to our airwaves. Good morning, Eva. Yes, uh, good morning, uh, Brenda, and good morning to Joe. Uh, I want to thank you for the invitation to be on your show, show again. And uh, the last time I was on, Brenda, you we were talking about the vaccine, and you asked me if I was going to get the vaccine. I was not sure at the time because I was on the fence, but I want to let you know that I decided to do it. I got the first shot on my birthday at 8.15 in the morning. (laughs) And how did you do? You know what? That wasn't planned. When I called, that was the date they gave me. And my second shot will be Easter Sunday morning next week at the same time at the Delavan Grider Center. I had two reasons for do, making my decision, Brenda. First of all, I have not seen my um, two latest grand, great-grandchildren. I've only seen them by video and photo. I would like to hug them. Secondly, I want to go back to church, and I want to feel comfortable doing it. So I just wanted to let you know the answer to your question. Well, I appreciate that update, Eva. How did you feel? Did you have any reaction? No, I did not. And a lot of people were saying, you know, they were talking about a a sore arm. Uh, I want to really um, thank the people, um, the FEMA people who were at the Delvin Grider Center. It was so well organized. They did not miss a beat. I was in there for less than uh, an hour I didn't feel anything, haven't felt anything since. Now, I don't know about that second shot, Brenda, so <laughs> me. <laughs> uh, yes, that's the true test, I think. I had a similar experience. I had my shot on uh, St. Patrick's Day and didn't feel a thing. 
not even a sore arm. So I started to think, did I really get the shot? But uh, I get the next shot in uh, mid-April. So looking forward to getting that done. And congrats to you and uh, belated happy birthday, Eva. Thank you so but we, appreciate it. We, uh, we wanted to talk to you about some issues that have come up. And unfortunately, Buffalo was in the spotlight with some racially insensitive remarks that were made recently. Um, and the last time you were on the show, you talked about being an optimist about race relations. Yeah. And then when you hear about something like this, uh, does it make you sort of take a step back and think that we really have not evolved that much? And I also want to ask you, Eva, about uh, there's a lot of anti-Asian uh, sentiment now. You hear about stories of Asians being attacked uh, because they are being uh, wrongly blamed for the coronavirus. Uh, so your thoughts overall on race relations, both from the black point of view and what you hear from Asian counterparts? Yes, and thank you for the question. You know, Brenda, the issue of race keeps coming up in this city and in our country as a whole, because I don't really feel that we have really, really talked about it the way I believe we should. I think we need to explore the roots of racism. Uh, you know, Dr. W.E.B. Du Bois, a um, well-known African-American scholar and historian and author, in the early 1920s wrote a book called The Souls of Black Folks, and he made this statement, the problem of the 20th century will be the problem of the color line. That is, the dominant issue during the century would be racial conflict between blacks and whites. Now, he said this in the 1920s, but even today, in 2021, I think if he were to come back today, I think he will say the same thing. Despite the progress that our country has made, we still have a long way to go. We have come through enslavement. We have come through the Jim Crow era, segregation, civil rights, inequality in education, inequality in the criminal justice system, and people are working on these issues. But I don't think we have gone far enough. We have not made enough progress. And regarding, um, and I'm glad, I'm glad you brought up this recent uh, issue, and when we think, just when we think we are on the way of making some progress, somebody comes along and says things and hurls insults at African-Americans. And in this particular case, it was African-American women. And comparing the skin color of black women to burnt toast, if I'm correct in, in, in saying that. But the last part of that kind of really bothered me because he said he referred to liking a, a black woman who had the right amount of Mulatto. Now, this was a tremendous insult to black women and the entire black commun community. I'm especially disturbed by this because my grandmother, in the early 1900 census, specifically the 1920 census, was classified as a mulatto. She was born in 1887, and a mulatto was a person of mixed black African, and white ancestry. And the sad thing about it is that black women were classified as mulatto due to the fact that they were sexually exploited by 
slave owners during enslavement. So when people make these kind of statements, such as we heard last week, they need to understand that their words are painful and their words hurt. And this is, was especially disturbing because this is Women's History Month. Of course, it shouldn't be said, said at any time, but especially now. So that, that I had a personal feeling when he used that term, mulatto. And um, regarding the uh, anti-Asian sentiment, I feel for the Asian Americans, there have been attacks against Asians in, the, uh, in their community. They are galvanizing and organizing and speaking out. And, you know, one of the things that African Americans have done in this country, and you go back and you look at the um, demonstrations led by Dr. Martin Luther King and, uh, and all of the things that happened during that time, um, we set the model when it came to demonstrations and marchings and protests and, and, and trying to get the rights that we deserved as human beings. And now many other groups have taken that model and they have utilized it. So I'm glad to see this. I'm glad to see Asian Americans speaking out, out on, on these issues, and I certainly stand with them. Eva, I'd like to know, when, when those comments were made earlier in the week and it appeared on social media, uh, what you thought of the reaction from the Western New York community? Joe, I was very pleased. I, was, I really was pleased to hear um, our lead, we, we certainly heard from our mayor, who called it outrageous. We certainly heard from many other of, of our leaders in the African-American community. But, you know, I, I'm a newspaper columnist, and, and I've been writing for the Criterion for 42 straight years, and I sort of have an ear to the ground. I live in the heart of the black community. So we heard from the leaders, but there are other people throughout the community who were talking about it and, and talking about this, this whole uh, uh, racist comment was deplorable, and you didn't hear their voices. So people did speak out, and I'm, I was very glad to, to hear that. I thought it was an excellent response. I'm going to go a step farther, Joe. I'm going to be writing a couple of articles on this myself uh, in the coming weeks to, to talk about this. And, but, one, but one thing, I, I'm kind of glad. You see, when people make statements like that and they make racist comments, the thing that usually happens, they have to come back and apologize. This gentleman has been apologizing all over the place. He, he even called um, the president of the NAACP, Reverend Mark Blue. I think people should um, think about what they say. And he used the word a couple of times. I saw uh, his statement on the, one of the media outlets, and he said he did it out of ignorance. That's the key word. That's the key word. Many people do these kinds of things out of ignorance. They have no connection to, the, to people of color. They don't understand people of color. They have not um, initiated friendships in our community, and they have these stereotyped images. That's one of the reasons I do what I do, Joe, writing, lecturing, teaching to educate people. So people have to think about what they say, and then they may not have to apologize later on. 
Eva, you ha have a long career uh, as an observer of life in this kind of situation. And there's a big high profile case that uh, involves opening arguments tomorrow in Minnesota, which of course is the uh, trial of Derek Chauvin, who was accused of the murder and manslaughter and the death of George Floyd. Uh, that to me will, uh, will just further inflame things, I think. I hope I'm wrong. But uh, what do you anticipate during this very high profile trial uh, to happen both, you know, uh, in obviously in Minnesota, but around the country as well? Well, you know, Rena, uh, everybody, I know I'm going to be um, really looking at it very closely and doing some commentary on it in my. And by the way, uh, you know, I had a radio show on WUSO. Uh, and uh, I, I retired. I just retired from my radio show on December the 19th after 14 years and doing over 400 shows. Um, but I still get, have my voice out there because, you know what, I call everybody else's radio show. But regarding the trial, uh, it's a very important trial. Justice is on trial here in this particular case. And I was looking at the makeup of the jury. They're, they're interviewed more than 100 people, uh, 15 jurors are now seated, 12 we will deliberate, and there are a few alternatives. There are nine white on the jury, four blacks, and two uh, classified as multicultural. Out of this number, nine are women and six are men, and, and their age is 20 to 60 years old. Now, one of the young men, a young white man, uh, white man he was in his 20s, he said something that kind of gives me a little hope. Um, he said, well, he didn't really know. He had been keeping up with the par uh, protests and marches last summer and, the, and all the things that happened there. And he said, you know, I really did not know a lot about racism until all of these things happened in our country. But he said, I want to read more. I want to learn more about it. You know what? That statement, Brenda, gives me hope. I don't know if he, because he's one of the alternates now, so I don't know if he will end up on the jury or not. But when you have people who have an open mind, who are willing to read more and to learn more and to keep an open mind, I think that says a lot. So I'm hoping, I'm praying for the best. I'm, I'm, I, I want justice for the Floyd family. I know they got that big $27 million, uh, you know, settlement, but it's, it's got to go beyond that. Um, all of America will be watching this case. It's an extremely important case. Yes, indeed. Now, I saw something interesting, Eva, that happened at Duke University earlier this week. Someone had posted a flyer with uh, George Floyd's toxicology uh, results, and the inference was that, you know, this guy was no saint. He, uh, he had some heavy-duty drugs in his system, and, uh, the, you know, he was not going to win Citizen of the Year award, as if to somehow, uh, you know, undercut his credibility as a human being, uh, and therefore sort of justify, I think the point was, in what Derek Chauvin may have done or, you know, what in some way try to justify what he did, which to me was absolutely heinous and outrageous. What do you make of the fact that somebody would post those toxicology results, which, by the way, Duke University quickly took down when they saw what happened? Yes, I, you know, I didn't see that, Brenda, but I'm glad you brought it up, and I'm glad Duke University took that step. Things like that really bothered me a great deal because 
regardless, uh, and I know George Floyd had things in his past, but I don't believe that regardless of what he had in his past, that he deserved to die in that manner. I really don't believe that. Um, I think that uh, uh, Mr. Chauvin, I think his name is Derek Chauvin, he had a right. he had a decision to make now. He did not have to lean on uh, Mr. Floyd's neck to that extent. He did not have to do that. So, you know, sometimes we have to look within ourselves and just have some feelings for another human being. So when I saw that, you know what I saw when I saw that? I couldn't, I'm going to tell you the truth, Brenda, I couldn't watch that. I had to turn my face from the television screen because I thought, I thought about my son. I have two sons. I thought about my grandsons. I have four grandsons. I have two great-grandsons. One of them is just a toddler. I would not want anybody, anybody, to put their knee on their neck and have them die in that manner. And I want to tell you, in my family, I have veterans going all the way back to World War I. I got a, a great birthday gift on that March 14th. My grandson is going to re-enlist back into the Army. You know what? I'm proud of him, Brenda. But at the same time, I'm proud of him. I fear for him because I don't know what is going to happen in this world. But he's, he's proud. He's what, he wants to go. He wants to go back. So when I saw what happened to George Floyd, I thought about my grandsons, my great-grandsons, my nephews, and people in my family. That should never have happened never have happened. And you certainly bring a unique perspective to this, Eva. Um, question from the text board. You know, we offer uh, the text board as a place for people to uh, comment and ask questions. And yes. somebody was asking here about um, using the N-word. If black people use the N-word with each other, is that okay? What, what's your view on that? No, and I say it with a great emphasis. No, it is not okay. That is one of the things I've been tackling over these last 42 years, especially with our young people, especially with our, our young rappers when they have got into using the N-word. And, and they use it because they don't understand the meaning of the word. They don't understand the history of the word. You, you know, um, I had a lot of personal negative experiences race with race myself. Um, I never will forget... Um, my family um, at one time lived on the west side. We lived in a large apartment building on the corner of Rhode Island and Shenango. And we were about 10 years old. My sister and I, we loved to roller skate. We would get in our skates and we would ro roller skate all around and we would come down Richmond Avenue. We thought that only rich white people lived on Richmond Ad Avenue. But the, the thing about it was every time we rode, took our roller skates and went down Richmond, we were called the N-word. Now, we were 10 years old. We didn't understand that. We didn't understand what that word meant. And uh, so I, I think this is a process of education. And to the person who uh, sent the uh, text, I appreciate that. But no, it is never, never correct. I'll give you another quick example of a word that I have a problem with. 
And I spoke at my church. I stood up at my church and I said this, never use the word picnic. And somebody said, why? I says, because when black men and some women were lynched in the South, people had a picnic. They brought out their picnic baskets. They brought out their hot dogs and and whatever they were going to eat, and they had a carnival atmosphere as black men hung from a tree and were sometimes castrated. So don't use the word. So somebody asked me, so, well, if we can't say picnic, what can we say? Well, you can say we can have a gathering, we can have a get-together, but just don't say the word picnic. Words are powerful. Words yes, indeed. Yes, indeed, Eva. They are indeed powerful, and uh, that is a, that's a heck of a way to end the segment, and it certainly paints a picture. Uh, and I'm so glad you brought that to light. Uh, I, uh, I respect and admire your, your clarity on these issues and the fact that you still remain optimistic uh, after seeing all the changes in society. It looks like we all have a long way to go. Thank you. We have, we have good people in this, in this world, white and black. Indeed, and especially in this community. Thank you. Eva Doyle, journalist, historian, author, thank you so much for your perspective. We'll be back with Dr. Joseph Chow in the next segment if you want to line up your calls about the, uh, the virus, about the vaccines, about your experiences. Dr. Chow will take them all. 803-0930. This is Hardline on WBEN. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. And welcome back to Hardline on this rainy Sunday. Hope everybody is doing well, that you had a good weekend and uh, on to a new week. And speaking of coming up, what's coming up this week, I'm honored to host uh, an online webinar where local women will discuss mental health uh, as part of Women's History Month. It's a conversation with a panel of people, all women, who will talk about their mental health journeys. It's at noon this Tuesday. And uh, you can catch it at uh, the mental health can be viewed at the Facebook.com Spectrum Human Services site. And again, it's sponsored sponsored by Spectrum Human Services. Check it out at Facebook.com slash Spectrum Human Services. I'm really looking forward to a, a candid discussion about mental health this Tuesday at noon with a panel of well-known women. You would recognize their names and uh, look forward to having you join us. 
and it will be broadcast on Facebook and YouTube as well. Well, next up is uh, our last guest for this very busy show. Dr. Joseph Chow is with us. Good morning, doctor. Hey, good morning. Nice to have you on board. You are uh, in, in the head of Western New York Media Care, and we appreciate your time on a Sunday morning, doctor. And uh, it's been uh, a year now that we've all lived through these uh, rather unusual, surreal times, doctor. What have you learned uh, looking back after a year of the pandemic? What have been the key takeaways for you? Well, um, lots to learn, right? In one short year, or you could say it's been a long year, really. Um, if you think about in the beginning, there was really not much known about this virus. If you, if you think back to last February, January, I think this was something that most people would feel it's you know likely unlikely to get to this country. And so if you think about just over the past year, not only has the virus become something that's really affected everybody in the entire world, but we've learned much, much more about what symptoms this virus causes, how it's being transmitted. We answered questions about masking and the importance of masking as well as social distancing uh, to the point that really this is real, uh, it's embedded uh, in all um, Americans and really everyone throughout the world. We've learned a lot about treatments, uh, what's effective and what's not effective, uh, to the point that hospitalizations as well as treatment uh, in intensive care units and even in emergency rooms uh, has gotten better even since uh, earlier this spring. You fast forward the calendar a little bit more, we have uh, vaccines now. We have effective vaccines that are being widely distributed. Um, so if you take a look back at the entire year, pretty incredible, just learning more about the virus, learning how to treat it, learning how to manage it as uh, really a population health. And now hopefully uh, we'll knock on wood on the tail end, hopefully on the tail end of getting the vaccines out and really trying to uh, control this. So incredible amount of learning over the past year. Uh, thankfully, thankfully with that um, to, to get to the point that we are right now. Dr. Chow, good morning. Um, talking about those vaccines, what would you say to people that are waiting for a specific vaccine? You know, I hear a lot of my friends uh, say they're waiting for that Johnson and Johnson one. Uh, what would you say if they were offered the Moderna one and passed up waiting for Johnson and Johnson? Don't pass it up, right? I think uh, you've heard multiple, multiple uh, clinicians and physicians say, essentially, uh, if you have the opportunity to get a vaccine, please take it. And if we take a look at just um, kind of in relative terms, these vaccines, some of the numbers that we're seeing for the efficacy are pretty lofty numbers, 90 some percent, even the Johnson and Johnson uh, upward into the 70 and 80 percent. Um, these are these are awfully high. And if you compare these to something that we've known about uh, the flu, primarily, uh, a lot of people get the flu vaccines uh, and those vaccines can range anywhere between 30 to 60 percent. Um, so these are pretty darn effective vaccines. So really, the short answer is if you have the opportunity to get a vaccine, don't pass it up. Dr. Chow, I want to know, I know for the Moderna, you have to get that second booster shot. But how how immune from the from COVID are you after that first shot? Yeah, so for so more studies are being uh, released now about how effective they are. Uh, earlier, some studies show that it may only be, and again, I'm ta I'll talk more from Moderna and Pfizer, um, that it may be as low as 33% and as high as in the 80%. Um, it looks like after the first shot, uh, it's probably a little bit higher than the 33, probably closer to the above 60, 70. So it is reasonably effective. 
Um, and so there's been a lot of there's a lot of strategy and stra- uh, strategists would say, well, can you do just the one or versus the two? Um, but keep in mind, when all the studies were done, clinical trials on the Moderna as well as the Pfizer, they were all done on the sec- with with two shots. And so that's what the studies would show about the efficacy. Um, so from that standpoint, if you do get the Pfizer or, or, or Moderna, um, still please get that second shot because that second shot is going to bring you all the way up into the 90%. So uh, from that standpoint, please follow those, please follow those uh, clinical guidelines. Um, and if you do get those, uh, get two of them. Uh, Dr. Chow, I had mentioned earlier that I'm having surgery this week, and uh, I had gotten my first shot um, about two weeks ago, and I was I, it made me at least feel a little better knowing I had some level of protection going into a hospital uh, to have surgery. How much protection does one have after that first shot? Well, uh, typically, if it's your if it's typically the the response is going to take about two weeks, ten to fourteen days, to really start ramping up your your antibodies. Um, and again, it's similar for the second shot. And so, if you had that two weeks ago, um, you should have some immunity to that uh, to a reasonable extent. I would say on the other side, I think most healthcare facilities, the hospitals and surgery centers and outpatient centers have really stepped it up and really done a nice job to keeping patients safe. Um, you see signs all over, all over about distancing. Uh, almost every place is going to have hand sanitizer as well as the, the mandate for masks. Uh, I think all the healthcare professionals and, and workers are very in tune to this. So you add those two together, at least in your, you know, certainly in your situation, if you have those measures, the hospital surely will have those measures also uh, with with your with your first vaccination. I think you can feel pretty good about having your surgery. Good to hear, uh, Doc. I think there's a lot of skepticism still about uh, shots, and I talk to people, you know, a lot of people different ages, and surprisingly, uh, many of my friends who would fall under the millennial category, like my esteemed co-host here. Uh, many of my friends have said that they're uh, concerned about a shot that happened so quickly, uh, that a vaccine was developed uh, with Operation Warp Speed, that it wouldn't normally take uh, that, that length of time. It would take years and years. Do you have any concern about how quickly the vaccines were developed? Well, certainly um, having skepticism about immunizations is something that's not new. This is something that for years and decades, uh, they're going to, they're, you know, different ends of the camp. Some are not going to want the vaccines for a variety of reasons, and uh, many will take the vaccines. The development of these vaccines, again, has been safe. Um, They are using new technology, but the technology is not something that was just literally developed in January. So these were technologies that had been worked on even from the years prior to. uh, It just happened that COVID uh, somewhat thrusted this new technology to the forefront. you know, again, these do get uh, looked at by the FDA. Uh, there are clinical trials, just like any other vaccine. Um, so, from the standpoint of safety, we can presume at this point that the, these are safe, about as safest as we can get. Dr. Chow, now looking into the future, and I know, you know, this is all uh, a guess from this point, but you know, uh, there should be enough vaccinations for all adults to start getting those shots by May at the latest. What do you see? say October, where do you think we will be with the pandemic? 
So if everything goes, if everything goes, we'll say as planned, and we we know you know many things can happen uh, in the interim. But if every if all of the adults get vaccinated, um, and there are studies right now, clinical studies that are looking at having the vaccines for pediatric populations, so under 16. These will likely be in place by right around the time that you're talking about, probably sometime in the fall. Hopefully it'll be sooner. Um, If we can get all of these together with the vaccines and while this is occurring, um, maintaining the the public measures, then there's a good chance that uh, the virus may be low low enough at levels where things can resume uh, as close to normal as possible. What I would say is what likely we may see is the levels go down, but then you may get some spikes. And so this is where it's not these large spikes where this affects large areas, but it may be more regionalized, it may be more clusters, and you'd still have to enact, uh, you know, more strict uh, public measures to, to somewhat bring these down. So if you if you think about a, a visual, we've had three peaks, three large peaks at this point, um, and it's finally going down, but you may get little blips and spikes over the course of the next several months uh, until the vaccination until we get to develop uh, what's called everyone's heard the herd immunity um, until we get to that point and we may see these uh, spikes but i'm optimistic with the vaccination rollout the way that is uh, progressing at this point that we may see a late summer fall uh, normalcy come back and let me ask you about the state this week came out with this plan uh, it's an app that would either show you're vaccinated or shown you had a test before an event uh, do you think this is a the way to start opening things back up? And do you think under this system, we could see places at at least half capacity by midsummer? It would seem so. It would seem so. You can see, you can see venues that are starting to open up already right now. And certainly um, getting vaccinated, there's certainly uh, a lot of advantages and certainly from the health standpoint. But uh, a few weeks ago, the CDC released a few, some new guidelines. If you have received your full course of vaccination two weeks after that date. Uh, there's some relaxing of the restrictions, for example, uh, being able to gather in small groups uh, without masks, but in one household to one household. Um, so you're starting to see right now some of the some of the, the pluses with the vaccination is the, the restrict the loosening, I should say, of some of these. Now, again, uh, let's not take loosening so far and have you know large gatherings without masks for from people uh, that are a higher risk or who have not had vaccinated. But you're starting to see that creep towards um, towards a little bit more normalcy. But but again, a lot of that depends on a lot of things going right, uh, the vaccination percentages as well as the local positivity rate. Uh, interesting that you mentioned uh, percentages, Dr. Chow, because uh, CDC Director Dr. Rochelle Walensky. Uh, said at a media briefing, according to a report that I read this morning, that the most recent seven-day average of COVID-19 cases was about 57,000 cases per day, an increase of 7% from the previous week. Yeah. And there's concern about, you know, the, the, the uptick again. Uh, but people at the same time are just so weary of being, you know, restricted and being stuck at home and, and not being able to do the things that they want to do. Um, how do you think that you know people will respond to this latest uptick? Do you think there might be a closure again in certain areas? Well, this is certainly we have. It feels like we have 
to to Arrow's Crossing in some respect, where we are starting to get some loosening. We have some good news with vaccinations, um, and yet we have some positive some rates that are going up. And I think this is what we're going to have to battle over the next few months, where we do get these spikes, where uh, there will have to be some a little bit more backing off on some of the easing, I should say, and maybe even to the point of more restrictions, like we had. Um, back in the winter time, so uh, absolutely, I, I, I completely get. There's a lot of fatigue out there, and from from a public health measures, um, citizens are being asked yet again uh, to be careful, even though there is some good news. But I think we do really need to be careful right now. Um, the the tenor and the mood is is optimism, which is fantastic, and I think we do need. But with that optimism, there's always going to have to be, hey, let's not be reckless and let's not um, be so loose with our restrictions uh, that this may happen because what you're describing right now is what we're seeing. And so before it becomes more of a problem, um, that's something that, you know, local local communities really need to clamp down if, if you're in that community. Dr. Chow, we have a, a question on our text board. A woman said she's a 71-year-old female who doesn't get flu shots and she doesn't get the flu. So she's asking, isn't my immune system good enough? Um, you can't say that. And so this could be, if it depends on your scenario, how healthy you are, how not healthy you are. Some people have a weakened immune system. Some people really have better immune systems. Um, she may not, this person may not have been exposed to anybody with the flu. So if you're at home and you don't have a lot of exposures, then you're probably not going to get the flu. So regardless, uh, at, at that uh, age, if you have any medical problems, certainly you should. I would still have to recommend getting the flu shot as well as the COVID shot. You know, it seems like people have such diverse reactions to, uh, to the symptoms, or, or whether they may be symptomatic or not, I should say. Uh, why is that, doctor, that some people feel nothing and others are, you know, forced to go to bed for three days? Yeah, and this is, uh, and, and I think everybody now is trading stories now. In the past, it was uh, about what kind of symptoms you get with the with COVID itself, and it's very varied. Um, and now, as people are getting vaccinated, what kind of symptoms they are getting? Um, it does depend on the immune response. Um, it, it, it's rather complicated, but different people with different re- immune response will react differently, and, and it's somewhat of a um, a general answer, but it is hard to predict which which people will get a worse reaction. Um, we do know that people who have had COVID, it seems their first shot tends to be uh, a bit more difficult because that really winds up being their booster shot. And the people who have not had it, it seems as if their second shot seems to be when they get more of the symptoms. Um, and so if you can prepare for that somewhat, um, you'll be able to push through the, the side effects of it. Yeah, so you think it's a good idea that I asked off the day after my second shot? If you didn't have COVID, uh, the disease itself, um, I think that's I think that's a good idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, um, allow that, right? If everyone will allow it. To, to speak of, of vaccines, because you know, I mean, it, it is so new, and now we are getting the first round of vaccinations to everybody. What do you, what is usual? You know, with the flu, every year we get a a flu shot. Is that going to be the COVID shot now? Is it going to be, hey, this week you'll get your flu shot, and then in two weeks you get your COVID shot? I mean, what is the next move in vaccinations? Right. And so this is the the question now that's being asked. Is this going to be something that's going to be a regular occurrence? Um, if you think about all the variants that are coming, the current vaccinations, vaccines do seem to be protective and effective 
against contracting as well as the, the severe outcomes of hospitalizations and death. And so that's a great sign. Um, virus, viruses mutate. And so this is something that is not new. We know they do all the time. It's just a matter of how much do they mutate. There can be mild shifts in the mutation. There can be completely large shifts that make it almost uh, somewhat of a new virus. And so with that information, again, not predicting the future, but my sense is that there may need to be boosters in the future to account for some of these variants and mutations. Uh, again, it'll be remain to be seen, but uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case. Doctor, another texter is asking, have any of the doctors debunked this vaccination? Um, the, the utility of the vaccination itself. Uh, I believe that's what they're asking. Yes. Right. I, I, I think if you, I'm sure if you go searching um, websites that there may be, again, two sides to every story or multiple sides to every story. And there may be some uh, information that's provided there. So uh, regarding that, I can't comment. I can only comment about what, uh, again, from a CDC standpoint, uh, their stance on it. So I'm not aware of any debunking. I'm sure there's a lot of conversation out there, not only in clinicians, but uh, non-clinicians. Um, so that I can't comment about, but I'm, I'm sure there's, again, to, to a story, there's always multiple sides. Dr. Joe Chow from Western New York Immediate Care. Dr. Chow, thank you so much for joining us on a Sunday. My pleasure. All right. Brenda, this is the uh, the final show before the Easter break. Yes, indeed it is. Wishing everybody a, a happy Easter season. And certainly if you observe Passover, we uh, send you our best wishes as well. And look forward to talking with you down the road, Joe. Yeah, Brenda, we pray for a very speedy recovery and that you are back on the show way sooner than later. Ah, thank you, Joe. I look forward to it. Thanks, everybody, as always, for listening to Hardline. We, uh, we appreciate your input, your calls, your texts, and your comments. It's uh, the highlight of my week every Sunday from 10 to noon. Same here, Brenda, and I look forward to doing it again, as I said, at the end of April. Hopefully, Brenda will be back with us. Next week, there is no hard line for the the holiday, and then we will be back. And I uh, promise to try my best with uh, the few weeks in April. Remember, tomorrow, 7 a.m., the WBEN Spring Stimulus starts back up. Get the word and text it to 72881 for your chance at $1,000. We already have three WBEN winners. We'd like to add more starting at 7 tomorrow with Susan and Brian. We'll see you then on WBEN.